0: Appreciate these folks leading us each week. And um, we do need to be reminded, don't we, of the goodness of God. Of all the stuff that's going on in our lives and our world, sometimes we, we forget that and think that He's not present, but He is. And uh, our series, if you haven't been here in the last few weeks, that's okay. But I've been doing a series called Has God Left the Building? And it's Godly Wisdom in a World That Knows Better. And we've been going through the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the first century church in Corinth, and Corinth was a very interesting culture there, Um, a lot of trade going through that city, so you had a very diverse uh, crowd that lived there, and uh, Paul was with these people for a year and a half, pouring himself into them, teaching them what it meant to be a follower of Jesus, discipling them, teaching them what it meant to be a disciple of Christ. And how do you navigate through your life being a follower of Christ when you live in a culture that's really crazy? A lot of different things were going on in that culture. And how do you navigate? So we've looked at some, some very interesting things, haven't we, in that book of 1 Corinthians that Paul had to... Now, he has left them for after a year and a half of being with them. And he has moved on to try to start churches in other parts of the world. And in doing that, he gets some feedback that, hey, man, there's some things going on in that church in Corinth that are crazy. Um, you, need to, you need to check on them. And even some people are writing him letters and saying, hey, here's what's going on in the church. And so he's concerned and he writes a letter back to them and he's trying to say, hey, let me get y'all back on track to being followers of Christ. You're letting the culture control you again. You're going back to some of your old ways, some of your old practices. You're allowing the culture to mold you instead of being a light to the culture. So... He's addressing a lot of things. Now, uh, last week, I, I asked a few people sometimes what they thought of my sermon, and usually it's some people that live with me, and they're pretty brutal critics, <laughs> as you can imagine. So I was saying something to one of my daughters, whose name will remain nameless, but she was saying, I said, what did you think of it? Because I don't know about that you know man was made, a woman was made for man and all that stuff in there. I don't know if I like all that. And I was like, hey, that's the word of God, you know, whether you like it or not. But she did bring out a point. She goes, yeah, I was kind of having a hard time following you. So I want to just kind of go back to this 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians. And it was about, if you weren't here, if you were here, you're still going, yeah, that was weird, man. Um, So it's all about head coverings and, you know, women wearing head coverings and men not wearing and length of hair and all that kind of stuff. And pro- so what I want you all to just take away from that, if you, if you didn't really grasp last week what I was saying, because I didn't communicate it very well. But basically, there were things going on in this church that were inappropriate in worship. And they were inappropriate, and they were causing other people to be distracted during worship. So they couldn't honor God properly. Now, it wasn't like... Things where somebody came into church for the first time and they didn't know, you know, they just. They Oh, I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to wear a hat or whatever. No, it was people who were deliberately knowing. Because remember, Paul had been with them for a year and a half. And he says, hey, I've worshipped with you. I've showed you what is proper in worship. And this is what you're supposed to do. But there were some people who knew that. But they were doing some things anyway to kind of show, I'm going to do what I want. I have the freedom in Christ. I can do whatever I want in worship. And you can't tell me what I can't do. That's what Paul was addressing. Not people who walked in and didn't know the rules. No, they knew, but they were just being distracted, and he was basically calling it out and saying, hey, it's not about you, it's about Christ, and when we come to worship. So I tried to give an illustration of saying, hey, it'd be like if in the middle of my sermon, if somebody over in the corner stood up and just started preaching another sermon. That would be a little distracting, wouldn't it? And You'd say, hey, they're not going to do that anymore. I'll gladly give you the pulpit, but not conflicting things like that. So I hope you did. So this same chapter, we went through the first part of it last week. This same chapter, chapter 11, we're going to look at today. And this is going to be specifically about another distraction in worship during the Lord's Supper. And those of y'all who have been with us for a while know that we take the Lord's Supper every week. It's a very sacred supper. But what was going on with that in Corinth was not good at all. And Paul was going, okay, we're going to have to address that. So... To to kind of lead off with that, have you ever been to invited to a party of some sort where there was a dinner, and maybe you knew some of the people there, but not all of them, and you you were kind of connected, and you get invited to this party, but yet during that dinner party you don't feel real connected. Well, I was at a I was doing a wedding for a um, a couple a few years ago, and it was it, when I was a youth minister, I had kids in my youth group, and then later as they Decide to get married, they will call me and say, Hey, will you do my wedding? And that's always a lot of fun. And it's a great honor to do that because they were in my youth group and had a lot of great uh, memories and relationships. So I was doing one and uh, I was at the rehearsal dinner. And most of the people sitting, you know how you get put at these tables and you don't necessarily get put with people that you know. So I- I'm sitting at this table. I don't know any of these people. They weren't at the rehearsal, they were just at the dinner. And I don't think they knew I was the preacher the next day. But so when I'm with people I don't know, I feel a little nervous and no one's talking to me. So I just start asking people about themselves. Like, hey, so what do you do? You know, some am kind of going around the table. But all these people knew each other and they were polite telling me what they were doing. But they were kind of in their own world and they were kind of, you know, every time somebody else... Told a story, they had to tell something a little bit better. You ever been in those kind of crowds? Like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 well, we, we, well, that's great. But let me tell you about this, what I did. And so it was kind of that. So I was just kind of sitting there and I felt very disconnected. They were polite enough to me, but they just kind of ignored me. So I'm sitting there at the dinner and I was like, please let this be over. I just want to go home, do the wedding tomorrow. Um, but you've probably all been in a situation where you didn't feel connected. And a meal is kind of one of those things where you sit around. And we love being connected through meals, don't we? We've done that throughout history. People sit around and eat together and fellowship and connect with meals. So Paul is saying, this is what the Lord's Supper is supposed to be like. You're supposed to be able to connect. But he's telling us in our scripture today that that was not what was happening in the body of Christ at Corinth. And he's like, y'all should know this. I was with you for a year and a half, and we went and did communion together. I showed you, I talked to you about what it was supposed to be. I passed that teaching on to you, and now I'm getting this, this feedback back about what's going on, and I'm very disturbed. So this is what we're going to read about today. So we're going to look at chapter 11, starting in verse 17 of 1 Corinthians. It's going to be on the screen. Thank you. Um, listen to what he says. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we are more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world." So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give you further directions. So Paul is addressing something, and and I'm sure as you're reading that, you're going, what in the world? People were eating a meal at the church and getting drunk, and man, that's, that's crazy. But that's what was happening. And so Paul has to, first of all, he's going to address the problem and say, here, I hear what's happening, and you probably heard that one little comment. He says, and to some extent, I believe it, because he's saying, I hear a lot of stuff, but I have to sort through what I hear and say, what is the truth? Do we all have to not do that in, in, in times? You hear a lot of stuff, but you have to sort through what is the truth. And uh, then he says, okay, there's some, there's some issues here, and I'm going to address those, but here's the foundation of what the Lord's Supper is all about. This is communion. This is sacred. And I'm going to remind you all of what I did when I was with you a year and a half. I'm going to remind you of the very foundations of what you're supposed to do during that time. And then he's going to talk a little bit about the implications, as you heard, of what happens when we are irreverent from taking that sacred supper. So the problem, he says, and, and we may not can, a, can, a, can really relate to that because we're going... Now, I've been to church a lot, but I've never seen anybody get drunk during communion. I mean, that would be weird, okay? But you have to remember, there were not church buildings in the first century. They met in homes. They met in people's houses, and they had worship services. And I don't know if you had to take a guess on how many people uh, were members at the member of the First Corinthian Church. What would you guess? You don't have to say it out loud. Uh, I'm not going to call you out, but it was probably a hundred or less, and the reason Commentators think it was a hundred or less. Is that as they've excavated uh, Corinthian ruins over the years, they found these different houses and homes, and they said nothing they could find was more that could fit more than a hundred people in there. So that's why we think it was a relatively small church that Paul was a part of and spent so much time with. But what was happening is you probably noticed there was a meal going on before the Lord's Supper, and you go, know, what is it? What is? It? Why would people have a big meal during worship service? I mean, that'd be great, wouldn't it? I mean, we'd be going, yeah, man, we'd be packing it in here, you know. But basically, if you remember, when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper on the night before he went to the cross, he was eating a special meal. Does anybody remember what that was? Passover meal, exactly. It was to commemorate way back in the Old Testament when Moses said, Pharaoh, let my people go, and finally, after all the plagues, and finally, there was the... Uh, The plague of the, uh, you know, you had to put the blood over their doorpost. And and finally, the the, the angel went out and, and the firstborn was lost. And this was the Passover angel was going through. And so, finally, Pharaoh lets all the people go and they all got up in haste. And they made this bread... And they finally escaped after 400 years or more of slavery into Egypt. And so the Israelite people, this was sacred remembrance for them. So Jesus was doing this with his disciples. And at the end of that meal, there was a meal. They had lamb, if you've ever been to a setter or anything like that, where they explain all the different things. there were There's lamb, there's bread, there's a certain... But it's a meal and it's a celebration. So the disciples were having a meal before Jesus instituted this new covenant in his blood. And he took a piece of bread and the cup, and they had wine, and they said, this is a new covenant in my blood. And he explained all that. But so the people in the first century said, hey, yeah, when we come to worship, uh, or when we're going to have communion, we're going to have a meal first. And then after the meal, after we fellowship and got really connected to one another, then we're going to take the Lord's Supper together to remember his death in his resurrection, So that's what they were doing. But what was happening is, is in this church in Corinth, it was a very diverse group. Economically, they were diverse. There was rich and there was poor and some people in the middle. There were people from different countries, spoke in some different languages, had some different backgrounds with their culture. Um, there were people coming from different faiths that had said, hey, I used to be of this faith. I used to worship like this. But now I've become a follower of Jesus, and this is what I do now in this church. And so all these people are coming together, and they were having a meal. But what was happening is, and what Paul, from reading what Paul says, we think there was a pretty wealthy person who allowed people to meet in their house because it was bigger than anybody else's. And so when they came to this house church, people were meeting. But what was obviously happening, if you could read in that passage, is that some people were meeting And they were having a really nice meal, maybe steak and shrimp, okay? And they were having this. And in their dining room, there was only so much seating for so many people. And so these more wealthy people were meeting and having steak and shrimp. And some of the poorer people who couldn't be there because they had to work a little bit longer and would come a little later to the service, they're coming in with their lunchbox and their PB&J. And they're going, what's going on here? How come they're eating steak and shrimp in the diner and they go, oh, y'all can sit out on the porch and eat your, your, your thing. So they, so kind of you brought your own picnic lunch, but you can see how there's division. You're eating your PB&J and your bag of chips and you're going, what's going on in there? I thought we were a church. Why can't I be in the dining room eating steak and shrimp? And it all of a sudden made people feel divided. It made people see their differences and Paul's going, what in the world, y'all? You know this is—that's not, not what I did when I was with y'all. I never—we uh, never did communion like that. Why are you doing this? That's—that's that's causing division. And then he said, this is embarrassing to people. It's making them see things that they don't—they don't, they don't want to see. They don't want to feel that way. Like, oh, we're not as good as they are. And it was, oh, you can't sit in this room, or you can't. It just wasn't going well. And it says people were eating and drinking in excess, being gluttons. I mean, can you imagine walking into a worship service and you're. The guy at the door that's greeting you drunk. Like, well, welcome to Southwest. You know, I mean, that would be embarrassing. You're like, what in the world is that guy doing? You know, that's not something that you, you want going on. But this was going on. And ultimately, it's a distraction not only to the worship service, but Paul said this is never what it was meant to be. Now, ideally, if we could take communion the way we would like to take communion, it would be just like Jesus did on the night. And you heard what he said. Um, he took the bread... And he broke it and he handed it to the disciples. So if, if we could ideally have communion like that, it would be an awesome thing. Like if I had a loaf of bread or a, some unleavened bread and I broke it and I like handed one piece to Isaiah there. And I handed another piece to Chris and I said, y'all distribute. You break off a piece and you hand it. So everybody would break off a piece of that and have it from the one, one loaf how meaningful that would be. And then I took this cup, and I took some, and I passed it, and everybody took of the same. How meaningful. They say, well, I ain't doing that now. Well, of course you're not going to do it now. But that's, it makes it, wow, we're all taking the same bread because we're one body. We're all taking from the same cup because we're one body, and we're remembering that. That's how, but obviously we're in COVID, and we can't do that. And even before, you know, I miss... I don't know about y'all, but before COVID, if y'all haven't been here, we you have the trays. I miss hearing the clinkling of the, the cups going in and out of the trays. Anybody else miss that? I miss that because you're going, as I'm taking this, I'm hearing other people all over the church taking this. They need to be forgiven. They're remembering that Jesus has forgiven them and given them new life. And you hear that little thing. Now we hear, we hear the little taking the thing off. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm glad that we, we've had to do it this way, right? But we haven't forsaken it. We're remembering it. But Paul's saying, y'all have taken it to a level that is so wrong. And I have to address this with you. So he is addressing it. So he points back to, and he says, I rec- what I received from the Lord, I pass on to you. Paul saying, I received it from the Lord. Did he receive it directly? Well, we're not sure if God said, here's how we're going to do communion. Or indirectly through the other disciples, like maybe Peter or John. We know he talked to Luke a lot and those guys said, I was with Jesus on that night. This is how he did communion and this is how we're supposed to pass it on because he told us to never forget. So those disciples passed it on to the other disciples who passed it on to the other disciples and guess what? We still do it today very similarly to what Jesus did on that night. So he's saying, remember that Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he took this piece of bread and he broke it and said, take it. And eat, this is my body. So Paul's saying, this is a serious thing that y'all have made into a, a, a gluttony fest. And it's not what God intended. It's not what Jesus intended for his. And Jesus, what Jesus is doing on that night, y'all, and I think this is very important for us to see, is that Jesus is tying the past, the present, and the future all together in that new covenant. There was an old covenant and in that old covenant, there were uh, God promised to the Israelite people, I will be your God and you will be my people. And they had this covenant. And, and how did they pay for they, their sins in those days? Well, they brought animal sacrifices. And I've said this to y'all before. Aren't y'all glad we don't have to do that anymore? Could you imagine this morning if you all had to bring an animal in here? Can you imagine the, the noise that would be going on in here? Could you imagine the smell that would be in here? And then when it was your turn to pay for your sins, to atone for your sins, you'd have to bring it forward and then I would have to you know, slit that animal's throat and drain the blood out, sprinkle it all over the altar. Can you imagine? Now, you think you'd be late to lunch today. You'd really be late to lunch if we still did that. But Paul's saying, no. This new covenant that Jesus says, the past was important. It was important to us. Jesus was with God in the beginning. Remember the first, uh, first John chapter one? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus was with God in the beginning. He was there at creation in the past. He remembers that old covenant, but now Jesus in the present came to earth in the form of a human, and now he sacrificed his body so that we could be forgiven and restored to God. No more animal sacrifices. No more old covenant. Now there's a new covenant in his blood, and that is establishing. And he said, and we should proclaim that until the Lord comes what? Again. He's saying there is going to be a future day where God's going to make everything right. Does anybody think the right way is going on in our world right now? (laughs) No. But he's saying... The past was important, the present is important, but the future, God will make everything right. He will ultimately make that right. So he takes the past, the present, and the future and brings it all in in that new covenant in his blood. And that's what he's trying to get them to understand. And again, it's not always an ideal situation how we take communion, but the fact that we take it. Think about what a simple thing Jesus instituted. A piece of bread. If you're in any culture in the world, you probably have bread, right? So you can do that. You have some kind of red liquid wine that you can take, some kind of juice from some kind of a fruit that you can take and make it like look red and say, hey, this is what we're going to do anywhere. And I thought about how Jesus thought about that. No matter going into the future, no matter where you are in the world, you can have bread and wine and remember the sacrifice for you. Now, I've been in other countries. I've, been, I've had the opportunity to take communion in India. In Haiti, in Ethiopia, in Guatemala, in Mexico, and in all those places, it wasn't exactly the kind of stuff that we have in our communion, but it was very meaningful. And I knew whoever did that in that culture did it for them, and it was very meaningful to take it in another place going, I'm still remembering the body and the blood of Christ shed for me. And somebody in another culture is doing that too, and it's meaningful for them, and it's, it's a very sacred thing. So these implications of not doing it in a reverent manner you you heard what Paul said Paul says when we don't make this sacred supper if we don't make this honoring to God we're we're dishonoring him we're disrespecting him in the way that we do it now we are sinning he says against the body and the blood of the Lord and we must all examine ourselves and so that's why we take time to think about what am i doing and why am i doing it because man we can get distracted Now, you may say, Craig, nobody's getting drunk at communion here. Nobody's doing that crazy stuff. I know. But what are some things maybe that we do that causes distractions to us? We can be thinking about something and all of a sudden in the service we go, oh, yeah, it's communion time, and we check the box. Do you know what I mean? And we can get like that sometimes. We can just make it, oh, it's just a ritual that we do. And it's like, no, you got to stop and think about it. Examine yourself, he says. Um, we bring judgment on ourselves and how we take it, Paul is saying to them. He says, some the judgment is, some of y'all are weak, some of you are sick, and some have even died because of the way you've taken communion. Does that scare anybody? Now, are you saying, Craig, that we could take communion in an improper manner today and we might be weak tomorrow or sick or even die? I'm not saying that. I'm not as connected to God as Paul was. But Paul was saying... There's been some instances that he knows about where people were weak and sick and he says there was a connection, even maybe died, there was a connection between how they were claiming to be a Christian and were dishonoring on a consistent basis Christ. It's just kind of a warning he was telling them and he made that connection. Is that something that God does today? I don't know, I can't speak for God. But here's the idea, just do it reverently, that's what I would do. So what do we have to do? Well, we have to set our minds and our hearts and our souls before we take communion and say, what am I doing? We need to examine ourselves. We need to confess our sins, knowing that Christ has forgiven us, but confessing that is important. We need to receive and embrace that body and that blood of Christ that brings us that forgiveness and grace that we need so much and that restoration with our our Savior. We need that. I want to share with you a... um, a story I read recently. A guy named Chris C wrote a book called "The Gospel According to Jesus," and in this book, he says he was talking about preaching one Sunday at his church, and he was preaching on the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God is among us and and uh, talking about Jesus when he first started preaching. He was talking about the kingdom of God, and that was this this is what it looks like. And he was sharing about that, and he says one week and I was preaching in our church about the kingdom that is coming. He says, uh, on the way out, a young man grabbed me and he said this, Pastor, the kingdom of God is already here. He says, I used to come down here to a bar called Emo's in this neighborhood, this very neighborhood where the church is. And he says, uh, I'd start every night with a drop of ecstasy on my tongue and I'd wash it down with Bacardi. That's what I did Sunday after Sunday. He says, but now... I come to to the worship service instead and I finish the evening with the body of Christ on my tongue and I wash it down with the blood of Christ. This is the kingdom of God. Isn't that a great story? Somebody that was in a world totally different, but now he sees it as sacred. And I was like, man, if I'm the preacher and the guy comes and tells me, you're preaching about the kingdom that's coming, man, it's here. That's what you want to hear your congregation saying, that they understand what the kingdom of God is all about. And that man understood that so i want us just to think about for a minute maybe we don't act irreverently about communion but sometimes and in the christian church we've been accused because we take it every sunday oh that can become old you do it every sunday it's old you know in the other church we do it once a quarter or we do it once a year we do it at christmas and easter but if you do it every sunday it just gets old whose fault is that if it gets old that's my fault If I don't tell my kids every day that I love them and express that to them in some way, whose fault is that? That's my fault, and it shouldn't. I would. I would rather my kids go. Stop telling me you love me. (laughs) Not had anybody parent had that happen yet. Nobody's had that happen. Stop caring about me. No, we do it, and every Sunday it's important because that's what we saw the early church do. That's what Jesus said. When you come together to worship, remember what it all comes back to, and that's the sacrifice. That, that Christ has made for us. So this morning, I want us to reflect on that, on that sacred supper and how we take it. And we can get distracted sometimes. We can be thinking about things, like I said, and the tray gets passed, or we go, oh yeah, I gotta pull out my packet, and and we just kind of lose the moment. And Paul's saying, Don't do that. Take some time. And sometimes even in the midst of our the way we do things, we've got to keep the service rolling. I wonder if we shouldn't take a little more time. So this morning we're gonna do that. We're going to take a little more time and do some things a little bit differently this morning. Um, And we need to understand that represents your salvation. It's a very personal thing, but it's also a very personal thing that we take it together as the body of Christ. Uh, I remember growing up um, and going to an Episcopal church um, that my mom went to in Columbus, Georgia. And it's this beautiful church. And it's just, it's really old. And it's, I mean, when you walk in, it's like, oh. You know, you like, God is, he lives here. I mean, it's just stained glass, the wood, and the marble floor. I mean, it's awesome. And so, but one of the things, I was used to just taking the little cups um, in church. But I went there, and you had to walk forward up these stairs to this altar. And you had to kneel on these benches, and you had to hold your hands out. And the priest would come by, and he'd say, the body of Christ. And he'd put that in your hand, and you would take Or he'd put it on your tongue. And then he'd have this silver chalice, you know, and he would say, the the blood of Christ given for you, and he would let you drink some. Now, I remember the first time we had grape juice at my church, and this was wine. I was like, whoa, I was like 11 years old, and I was like, whoa, what is that? You know, and it was a little bit different, but it was powerful there. Even though I wasn't in my church, I was still with believers in another part of the world remembering that very same event that gave me salvation along with other people, and it was a very powerful thing. And I know y'all have experienced it in different ways, and I'm glad to have experienced it in different ways, but it still points to the same thing, that I was blind, and now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was dead, but now I'm alive in Christ, and that's what that represents. So this morning, I want us to do something a little differently. I want to offer an invitation, as we always do. If you want to accept the Lord today, we're going to do that. But we're going to ask you to come at the end of the service, and I'll walk you through that. I know of some folks that are coming. Uh, But we want to really focus just for the next few minutes on how we take communion this morning and really focus in on what we're doing. So what I want you to do this morning is, is, usually when I say communion, I can hear the rappers. Don't do that yet. Okay? We're going to do a couple things. And I know it, I know it, those rappers can be, be a hassle. But I really want us to just focus this morning on all the stuff that's going on in the world. Y'all know um, with the COVID, um, with the racial issues this year, with all the political. Are y'all tired of hearing political ads and all this stuff? And I'll be honest, I'm concerned about what's going to happen Wednesday, whoever wins. And we've got a lot of stuff going through our heads. And we're, we're, we're worried about those things. But I want us this morning to just really focus on our salvation that no matter what happens in the election, no matter what happens with this, um, this pandemic, that the thing that really separated us from God, our sin, has been taken care of. And we want to celebrate that and embrace that this morning. That Regardless of whatever happens, I am with God now because He gave His life for me.